You know, uh, I thought I would tell you a little bit about myself. Not much, but, uh, you know, when you listen to people speak, you always say, who's he? Who does he think he is? What right does he have to talk to me? Preaching is invasive. You know that, don't you? So you've got to get, kind of give permission for it to happen. So uh, let me start out by saying I was born at a very early age. And uh, my father was a minister. And uh, I uh, began the ministry in Ohio. I went to Columbia Union College. I married when I was 19. I'm a child bride. I have four children and eight grandchildren. I was ordained in Ohio when I was 26. I got on a ship in the port of New York with my then three children, and we went to the port of Karachi, where I worked in the Pakistan Union. And back in the days when Pakistan was East Pakistan and West Pakistan, which means I worked in, uh, in Pakistan and in Bangladesh. I came back to the States and was the pastor and the head of the Bible department at the Auburn Adventist Academy near Seattle. But I had this thing in my mind that I wanted to go overseas again. I wanted to go back to South Asia, but I went to South America. I went to Chile, where we lived for five years, and I landed there when I was 32 and learned to speak Spanish. I told you last night I've accidentally carrying my Spanish Bible. I forgot to take it out. But they say that el español es el idioma del cielo. <laughs> you know, I, I, could, I, I could see them uh, speaking Spanish in heaven, but I didn't know they would take us over here before that happened. Did you think so? Anyway, <clears throat> I, I preach in Spanish. My children all know Spanish. Uh, we landed in Chile for a communist revolution, the, the last year of Salvador Allende. So I know what the communist thing's like and the helicopter gunships and the long bread lines and inflation of a thousand percent a year. So then I uh, went from there to the General Conference where I worked for seven years. I don't say this uh, bragging, but I am seriously one of the founding fathers of ADRA. I worked in that for uh, seven years. Uh, uh, ADRA was called Seventh-day Adventist World Service. Uh, in its pre-days, and I was uh, for three years its executive director. So I've been all over the world, and I've seen the best and the worst. The uh, refugee camps, the people dying everywhere, the war. It was just, uh, I think it was in the early 80s that I was in Lebanon, just after what happened recently, but Israel had conquered Lebanon, and it was in smoking ruins. I was there for that. And uh, then I went to Florida. I'm just accounting for my gray hair. Huh? So you'll know that when your grandpa speaks, you better listen. You understand me? That's what I'm saying to you. See, I wasn't born yesterday. By the way, contrary to popular belief, the world didn't begin in 1980. It was here before that. See, <laughs> This generation thinks that anything before 1980 never happened. That, um, but, it, but, it, but we've been around a while. You see, this is, why, this is why it's important that we don't let the culture divide us up because the human existence is a continuum. 
You see, in some ways, the culture wants to divide the youth off from the rest of us and make us say that we youth are different. You know, you don't understand. No, we do understand. We've been that already. It's what you better understand. It's what you're going to be. <laughs> or worse, or worse. You're going to be like me, or worse. Yeah. So I went to Florida, where I worked for 19 years uh, as the uh, personal ministries in uh, health and temperance and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And in the meanwhile, I continued the, my work as a revivalist, going everywhere. And I thank God <clears throat> for my ministry. I now work with Amazing Facts in an empowered church. I have uh, four children, and uh, the oldest one's older than most of you. And I have eight grandchildren, and uh, I like that. By the way, though, having children, you know, it's interesting how it works. Some of you will know that, you know, or where I am. That when I, uh, when my children were babies, I had a sermon I preached called The Ten Commandments for Raising Children. Then when it got that old, I changed the title to Ten Suggestions for Raising Children. <clears throat> Do you know what it is now? Ten questions I have about how to raise children. <laughs> Listen, you know something? That's, that's one. And here's what I tell people. You know, I, what I appreciate about young people is their energy, their creativity, and all their zip. I like that. I think that's really great. But you know something, son, I have that you don't have? Experience. <laughs> yeah, see, in other words, when I get on a 747 and fly over to South Africa, on... Next spring, you know who I don't want to be flying the plane? You. Yeah. Because you see, and all I'm saying is we've got to see the long term. Don't we really? Don't we need each other? See, let's don't break this off. We need each other. And there's something, there's something very rich about being my age. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'll bet he's 150. Uh-uh, I'm not 150. But I'm not, I, I used to be 50. I, well, I've got it tucked away in there. You know, you know, when you're 25, you never stop being 25. You just put, an, you put one on it. So I'm still 25. But I put a few years on it. See. But anyway, we need each other because experience is really the best teacher, isn't it? But you don't have to have your own experiences. Learn from the experience of others. In fact, the Bible is truth and it's about true experience, isn't it? So when we go to the scripture, anyway, I just thought I'd introduce myself. How do you feel about that? Was that all right? No, this is a special time because it's like being on top of a mountain. As I looked at the top of the mountains, it's so beautiful. This age is the top of a mountain in which you can see the side you've come up and the side you must go down. Yeah. By the way, I'm, I do my little introduction. This is not my sermon. I'm not going to say any more about drinking water. I think you hoped I would, didn't you? I'm not going to say any more. I don't know how that got started, though. I can't figure that out. Anyway, I said last night, you know, I was talking about how, how, how words are spun these days. Remember, remember I was contrasting the word uh, uh, acceptance. You know, Jesus accepts you the way you are, with receives you the way you are. If he accepts you the way you are, you stay the way you are. If he receives you the way you are, he changes you. Someone has said that if you want to make it impossible for your enemy to convey his ideology, take over his language. 
Now think about that a little. The devil has taken over our language. He speaks religious language. He used to cuss and swear and tell dirty jokes. But now he's come to church. He's a member in bad and irregular standing. But he talks our language and he spins our words back on us, but he gives other meaning. Let me illustrate. One of the words we're hearing all the time these days is we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Have you heard that one? The word relationship is all over the place. Have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, the word relationship is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything to this generation. This generation will have a relationship with anything. Hey, a guy has a relationship with a prostitute. The devil has a relationship with Jesus. He hates him. You know, I was talking to a young man one time who was living with somebody without being married. By the way, you know, I don't need to tell the women who are here the daughters of God. But, they, you know, any girl that would move into a fellow, uh, with a fellow without being married has to be out of her mind. Because if she wants him to really love and care for her, living, living with him before he's married makes that not happen. But anyway, I'm talking to this guy. And he's living with this girl without being married. And I said, what's it like? He says, we love each other. We're best friends. We share expenses and we snuggle. How do you like that word? I invented that word. That way you don't have to use the other word. And we snuggle. I said, hey, that sounds like Betty and me. Why don't you go ahead and get married? Don't want to make a what, son? Commitment. You see, let's don't talk in the 21st century about relationships, let's talk about commitment. Huh? It, you, you don't want to have a relationship with the person you marry. You want to make a commitment to him. We don't want to have a relationship with Jesus. We want to make a commitment to him. And so that's why the devil's taken all our words. He's changing the meanings. One of the words that's been corrupted all over the place is love. You know, we say, you know, I, you know, I would just... Uh, you know, reading the other day about homosexual lovers. And you know, when I was coming in here, I saw two dogs making love. And boy, I hope they have cherry pie for dessert. I love it. You know, God is love. And he says, not if that's what you mean. And so, and so the whole thing has been just corrupted. Our language is being messed up. For this reason, you know, that I can see why somebody said... If you want to make it impossible for your enemy to convey his ideology, take over his language. You know, the Christian life, some people, you know, I guess somebody said, I don't know who it was, they said, it's easy to be saved and hard to be lost. Right. Hey, if it was so easy to be saved, why does the scripture talk about it as a wrestle, a fight, a struggle, all the rest? Come on now. Easy to be saved, my foot. But, you know, I think some people are saying, well, you know, I, uh, I think the reason that I'm having some challenges in my Christian life is because I don't understand the book of Zephaniah. I think I understand all the rest, but Zephaniah, I'm hung up. But if I could get over that and get it, my, my Christian life would be easy. Another person says, I understand Zephaniah, but for me... I think the problem is at the E.G. White Estates. I think they, they're not letting out all the writings. They've locked up some stuff in the vaults. 
And if they let that stuff out, I think our problems will be over. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that the challenges, that the real struggles we're having in the Christian life are because of what we don't know. It's because of what we do know that we're not doing. Now, I just want to emphasize again, and it, if, you can get as mad at me as you want, but I just want to say again that when conservative people get together, they talk about everybody else, and let's don't do that this weekend. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's what? It's me, oh Lord. Don't come here and talk about them. Let's come here and find out what we need to have in our lives. I think that's really critical because that's one of our occupational hazards. Anyway, I forgot what I was going to say again. Whenever I go off on one of those tangents, I lose my train of thought. Because I have sermon notes, and then I jump off of those, see? And what was I saying there before I, I interrupted myself? <laughs> see, you forgot. You're not listening. This is a test. You fail every time. What was it? What's that? Yeah, I talked about commitment. You got that, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Remember what I said last night? That women are the ones that set the standard for morality? I hope you girls talk about that. Women are the literal gatekeepers of morality in a culture. Uh, <laughs> it's talking about love and how it's gotten corrupted. And how it's gotten corrupted. But anyway, let me go on with the sermon. Uh, <clears throat> oh yeah, I know where I was now. Because I'd, I'd, started, I'd, started I'd started on the outline, believe it or not. I was just saying that some of us think that the problems are what we don't know. And I said the problems are it's what we already know that we don't, we're not doing. What would our lives be like if we were doing what it says in Matthew 6, 34, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof, which in plain language means live one day at a time. But the fact is very few people do that. Most people live how many days at a time? At least three days at a time. And which days are they? And tomorrow. God is omnipotent and His grace is without limit, but there's not enough grace or power of God for the person who insists on living three days at a time. But if you'll just live today, there's no temptation taking you, but He'll give you strength to bear it. What would our lives be like if we were just doing Ephesians 4 verse 26, which says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In plain language, don't go to sleep mad. If we did that, you couldn't get a divorce. You couldn't get a divorce no matter how hard you try. You can't get mad enough in one day to break up a home. It takes days of it. Just don't go to sleep mad. You know, Betty and I have been married for lots of years. And, and you know, by the way, <clears throat> Betty and I have our birthday on the same day. I'm going to tell you when it is so I get lots of cards. <laughs> September 16. But we're not the same age. One of us is one year older than the other. But I, I can't tell you. Because she gets mad. You know what I mean. <laughs> anyway... Listen to me. <clears throat> Betty and I haven't have f had five fights that went from one day to the next in 46 years. Not bad. Uh, the last thing I say before, the, before I go to sleep at night is I love you. And the last words that I hear are I love you too. Listen to me. Uh, remember I've told you before. If we're not Christians at home, we're not Christians no place. I know when I use bad language, by the way. 
if you're English teachers here, I know when I do that. Anyway, but if we're not Christians at home, we're not Christians any place. And that's why when you talk about being like Jesus, we're, not, we're talking about being like Jesus at home. Anyway, I've, I've discovered that my relationship with my wife affects my relationship with God and vice versa. You can't break it apart. If you've got trouble, and we're going to talk about this today, if you've got problem with people in your life, don't talk to me about God. In fact, Jesus himself said, if you're on the way to church in the morning and you remember you've got problems with somebody, go home. I wonder if we enforced that, how many would be here today? What would our lives be like if we would do Matthew six twelve? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <clears throat> okay, let's try it again. You know what somebody said, well, just ignore them when they do that. How can I ignore that, my? You're not ignoring it. So we might as well stop till we get it fixed. Isn't that right? Anyway, <clears throat> what would our lives be like if we were doing 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to talk to you about the active ingredients of the Christian life. <clears throat> when you brushed your teeth this morning, you did, didn't you? <laughs> If you'd have looked on the back of the toothpaste tube, you would have seen, I know we got some dentist students here, you would have seen some small print that said active ingredients. I want to talk to you about the active ingredients of the Christian life, and they are two. One is forgiveness and the other is repentance. And when I talk about forgiveness, I'm not talking about God forgiving you, but you forgiving those who messed you up. Have you ever had anybody mess up your life yet? Maybe I should ask another one. Have you messed up anybody else's life yet? Let me tell you, when somebody messes up your life, the natural reaction is bitterness and resentment. It's just as natural to feel bitterness and resentment when somebody messes you up as it is to bleed when you're cut. You know, when you get cut, if you don't bleed, you must be from Mars. You're supposed to. But listen to me. The medical students could have to correct me. I'm just a layman. God has given us an important clotting factor because if that clotting factor wasn't there and you're cut, you bleed to death. In the same way, when people mess up our lives, we feel instinctively our default is bitterness and resentment. But unless we ask God for the gift of forgiveness, we bleed to death emotionally and spiritually. We do. We got to do something about this. Jesus puts incredible importance on this matter of forgiving those who have wronged us. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, if you won't forgive those who wrong you, don't even talk to me about it. Am I wrong on that? Remember the story he told about the guy that went to the king and he said, hey, forgive me $25 million. The king forgives. He goes outside the door. Somebody owes him $25. He has him thrown in jail. The guy said, get rid of this guy. Hey, listen, forgiving those which wrong, who have wronged us is not an option in the Christian life. It's an active ingredient, and without it, life, Christian life isn't. No matter what you say. Now, you might say to me, Dick, 
I can see forgiving uh, somebody who's uh, sorry. But why should I give forgive somebody who's not sorry? I'm going to answer the question, and that is so you can get on with your life. That's why. Because when bitterness and resentment sets in, our lives stop. I was talking with a young lady one time who says, I don't know how I can forgive my mother for what she did to me. I said, how long ago was that? She said, 20 years. I was talking to another woman whose husband had been unfaithful to her 40 years before. Look in her eyes. It's still happening to us. Huh? Let me just say this, and, with, and this is a sad thing to say. We hear a lot about sexual abuse. And let's supposing that a young girl was sexually abused when she was just a little thing. It's natural for her to feel, her, to feel guilty and, and, and everything else, but she also feels bitterness and resentment. She's 35 now. She's full of bitterness and resentment. Unless this girl asks Jesus for the forgift of forgiveness, she's being sexually abused every day of her life. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, that, that, that forgiveness is not an option in the Christian life. Without it, it isn't. I was talking to a man one time who came to my office and, and his granddaughter had been raped and murdered. Now, I guess that's about as bad as you can get it. And he began to tell me, they had caught the guy, he began to tell me how this bitterness and resentment just overwhelmed him. And he began to tell me how it worked. And he began to tell me how he had to get down on his knees and say, Oh, Jesus, do something for me. Because bitterness and resentment will consume you. I want to tell you that if you have bitterness and resentment against your parents and you're here today, for any reason, your marriage is ruined. If you've been in a marriage before and you've got the res residuals of bitterness and resentment you're carrying to your next marriage, it's not going no place. I was talking with a lady in Tampa one time whose, whose daughter had been strangled by her daughter's husband and now she was raising her grandson who was 13 years old or 14 or whatever it was and guess who she's beginning to hate? Her grandson. You see, that's another characteristic of bitterness and resentment. It doesn't just stay on the person who's done it to you. It jumps around. And I said to her, do you ever pray about the, uh, you know, for your, for your former son-in-law who's in prison? And you know what she said? She said, I don't pray anymore. There you go. That's the way it always works. Bitterness and resentment jumps around and we'll finally, if we don't ask Jesus for the gift of forgiveness, we'll finally eliminate our connection with God. It does that. You know, I, I was talking with a lady one time who's, whose former husband had really messed up her life. I mean, if I told you what he did, it was just really bad. I said, do you ever pray for, for him? She said, I sure do. <laughs> I said, what do you pray? She said, I pray God will give him what he deserves. That's not what it means when Jesus says, pray for your enemy. You see, this is what I told you last night. Hey, none of us mind talking about the enemy and praying for him as long as Osama, he's Osama bin Laden. But if he's your dad or your former husband or wife or your present husband or wife, the one you used to sleep with but you now are in the same building, you don't sleep together no more. When Jesus says love your enemy, he's talking about probably our biggest enemies are people in our own family. That's the truth of the matter. You know, uh, when I was a young man, 
I, when I got old enough to work, I went to work on a plastering crew. They don't plaster anymore. They stucco, you know, but they do drywall inside. Let, let me say this to get in a little jib here. You know, I appreciate Norman. He's studying to be a neurologist. He makes, makes me so nervous just thinking about what he's studying about. But, but anyway, you know, you know I, I, I wish in our church that we could get past this thing of saying, well, we're so glad. Welcome to our church. You know, we're so proud. We've got, we've got six doctors, four dentists, and, uh, and, and, and three lawyers. I think that's nice. But don't forget, buddy, Jesus was a journeyman carpenter. Don't forget that. God's no respecter of persons, but we are. You see, the church ought to be the place where you are somebody outside the church. You come in, you are nobody. And if you are nobody outside the church and you come in, you are somebody. We ought not play by the same rules that the church play. But anyway, I'm so glad that I got to be a plaster. And even now, I know over where I'm staying in the room, I'm, I'm looking at the textures and at the angles. I kind of got it in my system. One day... We went to work. It was early in the morning. We were going to stucco a house. And we got there before the boys got there and we're kind of checking out, make sure everything was good. But the material was there. The cement mixer was there. It was electric. It was, fellas, it was like this. You know how that's the way they mostly are these days. So my buddy, he, he plugged in over at the power pole. He plugged in and he ran the big extension cord over to the mixer and he plugged it in. And the mixture was turned on. Now, nothing's in it. We're just checking it out. You understand me? Just checking it out. So when he plugged it in, it went on. And the paddles began to go on. They're going to start around. Well, when he let the thing down, it dropped on the ground. It became unplugged. And so he reached down. He picked it up. He started fooling with the tines. Isn't that what we call them? The tines. So it would stick when he plugged it in. While he's fooling with the tines, I'm looking down inside the mixer and I see some sticks down in there. And I thought, you don't want to get that in the mud. We call it the mud. So while he's fooling with that, I reach my hand down in the mixer. Just as soon as I get it to the bottom, he plugs it in and my arm broke instantly just like you'd break a dry stick. It just went crack. Uh, and I screamed, and in that very instant, thank God he unplugged it, because in the next second, it was going to cut my wrist off on the bottom and pull my shoulder off on the top. At first, there was this, there was this deep pain. It wasn't sharp pain, it was deep pain. Uh, and, and, and I reached down and I took it in my arm and I kind of just lifted it out. It fell as it, medical students, it wasn't a compound fracture. It didn't break out, but boy. Hey, hey let's do it. You know, we got so many from the Loma Linda area. Let's have a little anatomy and physiology. Please, would you wake up and, and let's do this. Is your wrist doing this? Go ahead, honey. No, I could do that. Is, is, is your wrist doing this? Is, aren't you going to try that? Everybody, everybody who's here, wrist should be doing this. Is it doing that? Guess what? My arm was doing this here. It was hanging down. And I just reached down and I grabbed that and they took me to the hospital. Now I know that there's medical people here today and I'm just going to make a personal appeal. This is right from the heart. When you go back to the, to the hospital to work, nurses or doctors or whoever you are, technicians, on Monday, do me a favor. Go over there to that place where it says emergency room and tell them to take down that sign. And tell him to put up the sign that tells what it really is. Waiting room. <laughs> and did I get that right? Come on, give me a break. Emergency room, my foot. If it, if it was emergency, they, they'd treat it like that. But you get in there, my lens, they put you on a gurney, roll you off to a corner, man. And that's what they did with me. They put me off in a corner. And boy, then the pain starts getting to me. 
And I started crying. I don't remember much of the rest. I woke up. I was in a hospital bed. And, and my arm was really swollen bad. The orthopedic surgeon was there. And he said, Dick, he said, we couldn't get the bones to match up. He said, they'll go ahead and heal. But, but when they're done, you won't be able to, to do this. It's, that's it. He says, if we're going to make it work, we'll have to do an open reduction. We're going to have to put those steel rods down the center, make it cross over and line it up. I said, go ahead and do that. He said, it'll scar you. I said, I don't mind. Now, I know what I'm about to do. I know this is kind of obscene and everything. Because if I was, if I was, you know, your age, you know, 25 or 26, and I was just showing my big, hairy, you know, muscular, ballet's health club arm, you know, you'd say, oh, wow. But the fact is, I've even been putting effudex on my arm lately for sun damage. You know, the whole, the word of God's kind of like effudex. Uh, when you apply it to the life, it explodes sin. It explodes sin. So I've still got some of this effudex, this healing there. But what I wanted you to see, you can't see it from the back, but you on the front row can see it. Let me go over here. This is your prize for sitting on the front row. He puts on his glasses. See those scars? Listen to me. I'm scarred here and here, two here and two here. I'm scarred for life. No amount of prayer and fasting makes those scars go away. But you know what I don't have today? I don't have pain. And that's what I want to say to those of you who are here today. If someone's messed up your life and you're full of bitterness and resentment, you're scarred and you'll be scarred until Jesus comes. But Jesus wants to do something special in your life today and that's to take away the pain. He'll do that. So you can get on with your life. Listen, I want to just tell you something. I know what it's like to hate people and to be hated. I know about that. I can tell you the story. Anyway, I was down in Miami in a motel one night, right when I was in the middle of that bitterness and resentment, hating and being hated. And I don't know if it really happened to me or not. I don't know whether it was a dream, my imagination, or it was real. But in the middle of the night, I think I saw demons by my bed, and they were laughing at me. And when I saw them, I began to cry. And as I cried, I prayed for my enemies. And God gave me the gift of forgiveness, and I'm just fine. In fact, he gave me the gift of forgiveness so bad that I was thinking of one of those guys that messed up my life one time. And you know what I prayed? I prayed he'd be my next door neighbor in heaven. Oh, it's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Understand that. The active ingredients, this is what makes the Christian life go. You can talk about the time of trouble coming someday all you want, but the fact is, young man, you in it. We're in it every day. It's here. Hey, come on now. Unless we're getting victory. Today, we're not getting victory. No time. Don't talk to me about the papacy and the Sunday laws and the, the small time of trouble and the big time of trouble. You, you's already in trouble. Come on now. And it's forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. You don't have it in you to forgive. Forgiveness is as much a part of righteousness by faith as anything else. But it's harder to forgive than it is to give up eating pickles. You understand what I mean? Are you okay? Can you take this kind of stuff? Oh, Oh, yeah, this is big. Last night we prayed for our parents. We prayed for our parents because most of the enemies that we have are at home. And unless we get over this, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be lost no matter what. Because it means we will have rejected 
the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. We refuse. We want him to forgive us, but not them. Another active ingredient of the Christian life is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I'm not a poet or anything, but have you ever heard that little poetry? It goes like this. To err is human. To forgive divine. Have you heard that before? You want to hear how I spin that? To err is human. Not to admit it is dumb. <laughs> it is. You see, the, 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 the real problem was not that we made a mistake the first time. The real problem is we keep on doing it. I wanted to say pues. You would understand if I said that. I just noticed you people sitting on the back row. So I thought I'd talk to you a little bit. I'm very sensitive to whether people are listening or not. I can tell whether you're asleep or not. By the way, you know, when I give seminars, sometimes right after lunch we give a seminar, the people are kind of sleepy. One day I was in a church, and there was a lady off on the one side, and she went to sleep there at the first meeting, and she went to sleep. It wasn't discreet. It was like this. <laughs> and I looked over there, and I saw her, and I said to the congregation, look over there. <laughs> She didn't go to sleep no more. You know what I mean? Uh, in fact, you know what I tell people sometimes? I say, if you insist on going to sleep in church, do me a favor. Paint your eyelids, your eyes open on your eyelids. So that whether they're open or closed, they always look like your big blue eyes to me. You know what I mean? Anyway, to err is human, not to admit it is dumb. You know, we men are especially bad about not wanting to admit our mistakes. Now, maybe. <laughs> no, but you're right. No, you, you were just affirming me there. And we just were hoping that the men would do that. But, but you know, I was talking with a man one time, and he said, well, if, we, if I admitted my mistakes, my family would you lose respect for me. I said, son, they already have. That's the way you get it back. Amen. I was the leader of prison ministries in Florida for lots of years. One day, I, uh, they asked me to go down to the Okeechobee Penitentiary, Florida Penitentiary, and speak to, down there to the inmates. I had been down there before, but you know me. I, I just half the time, I, you know, half the time I don't even know where I'm at. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be at a place and I'll say, this is such a beautiful place. Where are we? <laughs> you know, when you're in a different place all the time, you don't know where you're at any time. You know, it's all the same. So anyway, I had been to the prison before, but uh, and I knew it was two hours to the south. You know, in the Florida, you can't go east and west too much. But you can go north and south quite a bit. So anyway, I knew it was the south, and I figured how to get there about two hours. And so I just went and found Route 27 and started going to Okeechobee. And after an hour, you know, I wasn't worrying about it. I thought, well, pretty soon now. And an uh, hour and 15 minutes, I thought, I should start seeing some indications, you know. Hour and a half, I thought, uh-oh. And then it began to look like the Everglades. <laughs> and when I saw that, I stopped at the first convenience store and I said, when are we going to get to Okeechobee? When am I going to get to Okeechobee? The guy said, never. <laughs> he said, you're going to Miami. Now, I guess right there I had to make a decision. I could have said, hey man, what you trying to do, man? Put me down. <laughs> hey, you're, mess you're messing with my self-esteem, man. 
I ain't let nobody put me down that way. You're going to have to sit up in the parking lot. We'll settle this. <clears throat> but was he putting me down? He was helping me out. You see, right on that, right at that moment, I had to decide whether I was going to stay on the wrong road or repent. Because you know what repentance is, really? It's admitting you're wrong. It's to admit you're wrong. This is why it's so critical. See, you know, on this, on this toothpaste, the active ingredients is a long line of I don't know what. But in the Christian life, the functioning Christian life, is not so much, it's not about the past. And the, and the future's not here yet. It's all about today. And if we're failing the quizzes, let's don't even talk about the final test. Uh, we get ready for the final test by being Christ-like every day. And that means by being Christ-like at home. Because if we're not like Jesus at home, don't even waste your weekends here. What I'd like to do, if you don't mind, last night we prayed two by twos. This one I'd like to just do one by one. Just you, not out loud. And I would like to invite you to look into your heart today and just be honest. Do you have bitterness and resentment in your heart today against anybody for any reason? Remember this, we can't ask God to forgive us if we don't forgive those who've wronged us. It just says that in the master prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as what? Remember it says debts, they still owe. Them saying I'm sorry is neither here nor there. They still owe, we forgive them anyway. So I'd like to invite you, every one of you, to look in your heart. Do you have bitterness and resentment towards anybody? You can think, well, I think I, I, think I used to. I, way back when I was five. Or I think someday I might. No, I'm not about today. But you don't know what he did. I, I, I don't even care. I, mean, I care. But that's not what it's about. Because the active ingredients, that which makes the Christian life go, is re asking Jesus for the gift of repentance, uh, of forgiveness, and just doing it. Just doing it. So that every day we get a new start. Every day we get a new start. Remember what I talked to you last night? This dysfunction thing says, hate your daddy and enjoy it. Jesus says, you'd better not. Well, but you don't know what he did to me. Makes no difference. If you also have come to this weekend and uh, you've got things you're doing in your life you know you shouldn't, I want you to ask Jesus today, I invite you as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to ask him today to give you the gift of repentance. You see, another problem we've got to watch out <clears throat> is that if we're not addressing the real sin in our lives, we will tend to splatter sin. You know, two little girls were talking and one day and one went to the minister and said, you know, I enjoyed your sermon on repentance and asking people to forgive and I've got a 76 people that I've got to make things right with. And the other one says, I've got, I've got 115. And the pastor looks at those little girls and he says, they're too young for that. They haven't been around that long. So he just has a hunch and he says, is your mother included in that list? No way. I'd never ask my mother to forgive me. You see, a lot of things we do are smoke screens. Have you ever heard of the killdeer, this bird that lives on the ground? 
has his nest. You get near that bird and he comes and he starts doing this. And then you start following him and he leads you away from the net. This is what we've got to watch out in our spiritual lives. Unless we face the real truth about our lives, we will try to put up a smoke screen. I heard about a fella. No, I won't tell that story. I did that something like that this morning. They all got mad. Should I do it anyway? Yeah, I was telling some of these brothers, I said, when you ask the Spirit to lead you, then you're going to have to take whatever comes, don't you really? Anyway, anyway I remember I mentioned this debate on the nature of Christ. I, I know when I stir that, it's like putting a finger in some people's eye. But anyway, this pastor had preached on the weekend, and uh, afterwards he was a guest at their house. And uh, they discussed the nature of Christ until 1 o'clock in the morning. Does that tell you anything? And then they all went to bed. The next morning, the guy gets up. He tells me, he says, I'm walking down the, the, the hall from my, the guest room on the way to, eat, to, 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 to breakfast. And I pass the, major, the, the master bedroom. He says, there was the entertainment center. And there on the entertainment center were, a center were pornographic videos. You see what I'm saying? The nature of Christ was the smokescreen. The real problem was pornography and impurity. We've got to watch out for that. This is why we, we ought not be theoretical or hypothetical, but let's be real. Uh, you, can, you, you, can fool, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool yourself all the time, but you can't fool God any time. And this is why I want to tell you, if you don't take a bath, you stink. Did I get that right? <laughs> if every day we're not doing forgiveness and repentance, we stink spiritually and emotionally. So I want to invite you today. Look into your life. Do you have bitterness and resentment toward anybody for any reason? Ask Jesus today so that when we leave this weekend that we can have more than the fellowship, that we can have gotten some real victory, hardcore victory. And that's the way it is. And then ask Jesus to convict you of the real problems, not the, not, not the imaginary ones, the obvious ones, the in-your-face. You know. Come on, you know. You don't have to do this. We're really tight. But we need to kneel to do this. We're going to pray silently. God can hear a lot of prayers at the same time. Uh, talk to him about what you need to talk to him about. Take a bath. Take a bath. Go from this place scarred, yes, but without the pain. Jesus wants to do that for you. And then I'll close. Let's be. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we are scarred. No doubt about that. And we've scarred other people. You've heard our prayers. Lord, we think of what's going on in our home. The way we talk to each other, the way we treat each other. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, today, answer our prayers. Give us this gift, this gift of, of forgiveness, that as you forgive us, that, that we treat others the same way, so that we can, we can take a bath and smell sweet every day. Lord, you've asked us to repent, and that if, if we would just admit it, just admit we're wrong, that you're faithful and just not to put us down, but to put us on the right road and to get us to where we really want to go because you promised that you who have begun this good work in us will finish it. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you today for giving us a new start. In Jesus' name, amen.